0: The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Thanks to longtime support from patrons like Jack and Alan, our 2020 FBS team profiles will be available March 1st. That's two months earlier than the 2019 edition. Your continued support will also secure the long-term health of the pod, keep it ad-free, and help support our research projects and improvement to our content. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and enjoy the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. You can follow him on Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Fellas, how uh, how's it going? I mean, I I, there's so much annoying things going on for me right now. You know, Clint Capella got traded to y'all's Hawks and uh, the stupid Mookie Betts got traded to uh, the Dodgers, who I hate. Um, But uh, you know what? With all of that nonsense, I'm still doing better than Mark D'Antonio. So, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I mean, Nick, what is this story? And I feel like we need to just get it out of the way. Uh, I don't know if you have any opinions on, as, you know, Mark D'Antonio and him leaving, but, you know, just looking football-wise, today is signing day, and we have a coach leaving the day before signing day. They need a new coach now. So it's kind of chaos uh, over there. So what do you think about this whole deal?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the timing is... Uh, you know it's less than ideal if you're Michigan State for sure Um, there's some you know below the surface uh, in the background there seem to be some uh, legal things connected to some NCAA potential things connected to it Uh, I don't have a firm grip on on all of that but uh, you're absolutely right that you know today being signing day you don't really want to lose your you know your program's all-time winningest head coach the day before signing day and and uh, because of the early signing period maybe the the uh, chaos is contained a little bit more than it would have been a few years ago because they have you know the the vast majority of the players that planned on signing with Michigan State signed in December but but still you never really want to make a head coaching change in February, uh, for sure. And and it's, you know, now that the, the carousel, the rest of the uh, FBS coaching carousel has sort of come to an end, it, it makes me think that Michigan State probably doesn't have a great shot to get, you know, their number one or number two target, who everybody seems to think Luke Fickle, head coach of Cincinnati, is, is the top guy. Um, I would be... Surprised at this point if they're able to get him one because you know he just signed uh, a really strong class at Cincinnati the strong you know the highest rated uh, class among all G five programs a top forty class nationally and and he's sort of got things rolling there to step away from that and into a situation where. Uh, There's some turmoil. There's some changeover. Um, It might be difficult to, unless he's able to to bring his full staff over from Cincinnati, might be difficult to build a a staff at Michigan State, and, and you sort of don't necessarily get off on the right foot in a new job. So whether it's Fickle or somebody else who's weighing that as an option, it seems like, you know, maybe it might be better just to wait and see, which makes me think, okay, Michigan State might be sort of stuck Promoting from within or, you know, taking on sort of an interim uh, head coach for one year, similar to what we saw a few years back in Arkansas with John L. Smith and then more recently at uh, Baylor where uh, Jim Grobe took over for a year And, and neither of those went very well. You know, on the field that next year. So I'm not sure Michigan State really wants to go that direction anyway. So it's it's all sort of a mess from just a football standpoint, and uh, timing is is certainly weird. And of course, a lot's been made of he just had a, a four million dollar plus bonus uh, that kicked in last month for still being the the head coach. But uh, on the flip side, I saw some of the comments from his uh, you know that that D'Antonio made after. Uh, the announcement that just sort of the 365 day job of being a head coach played a role, and and why he's stepping down, and and there's certainly something to be said for that. I mean, these jobs are 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and and it can wear on you. Similar things happened with Chris Peterson at Washington. He he uh, spoke to that as a reason why he uh, was ready to to step away at the end of the year. But uh, anyway, it, it's. Uh, just the, the whole thing is less than ideal if you're Michigan State, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh it's a weird move. And, uh, you know, I just I can't buy into anything D'Antonio says about, you know, the 365 days and all that stuff. Really? Come on, man. Like, everyone knows why you resigned right now. It's because uh, there's legal <laughs> stuff cropping up right now and all kinds of, you know— off the field issues going on with the former employee and all that stuff. Uh, Nick, you told me cover three did a nice, uh, breakdown pod about the whole thing, uh, in, uh, I guess yesterday or maybe today whenever it came out. But, uh, Xavier, I mean, what are you thinking about this, uh, Michigan state job?
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you have to think it's in lieu of the situation that's going on with them right now. um, you, you you think that he w- there's no reason why he would leave otherwise. Um, he's not really like going off into the you know, into the green pastures. They just went they just had one of their worst seasons in a couple of years. Uh, it just it's all weird. You know I think uh, Tyler Simmons actually uh, who played at Georgia kind of summed it up really well on Twitter of how the recruits might be feeling. He was like my brother and family were just there for an official two we- uh, an official visit two weeks ago and they put their trust in the Michigan State. This ain't right. Um, I think a lot of recruits feel that way um, as of right now, especially with it being signing day. Um, as we're recording this, I can only imagine if I put my trust and, and faith, you know, and essentially my my education and everything into a school, into a coach, and he 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 gets up and leaves the day I'm supposed to put his hat on or his school's hat on. I I can only imagine. I mean, at what least for the
1: kid's sake, it was what it was, this wasn't three days after signing day. This or is Anything true. like that, you know what I mean? So. Uh, I guess. Well, at least but I mean, know a, lot that signed,
0: a lot of a them lot signed. A two yeah. months ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there you know, there's there have been some situations where some coaching changes will happen like this, and a, and a school will maybe say if anybody wants out of their uh, pledge, that, that that they might grant that. I, I would hope Michigan State might do something like that because Xavier, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not it's not fair to the kids who thought they were signing up and and playing for a head coach. Uh, So hopefully they'll take a step for something like that. Cause yeah, it definitely uh, could end up, you know, putting some kids in a, in a bad frame of mind, uh, sort of getting stuck like this.
1: Xavier, what do you think about the, the coaching situation now? What, where you think they're probably going to have to, just pull someone from within the program and go with that for a year and then see what their options are next year or.
2: Yeah. You, you gotta think that with something like, because it really felt like Michigan state wasn't prepared for this. Um, You know, and and so you would think that they would have to go internally and just hope they could put together something for next season. And then once kind of the chips fall where they may uh, next year, you know, bad coaches, or coaches that just don't have successful years, then they can go ahead and pick from the litter uh, next season because it's not like Michigan state's a bad job. Um, And also that gives them kind of a year to go through the whole lawsuit process. um, And, and, you know, to an extent, you know, clear their name if necessary um, or something like that, without putting a coach directly in the line of fire um, who does you know, who didn't have anything to do with this. Um, And so I think that they have to go internally. Um, I don't think that, like Nick said, I don't think anybody right now that they would want is out there and available. Yeah. Um, especially now with signing day. And I would really hate to see, you know, a, a, another university and another group of kids get, you know, get put in a situation where their coach is now leaving as well. Um, and going for a better job where, you know, they put an entire recruiting class uh, faith into there too. So,
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a strange situation. And, uh, You know, hopefully they get it resolved soon because Michigan State's, you know, it's always been uh, a decent program. Obviously, they they're they've got some scars going on right now. Right. uh, And it's uh, it's unfortunate that that it's happening. But um, hopefully they can right the ship and get everything, everything going there. But let's talk about something fun. And uh, KJ Costello is going to go play at Mississippi State with Mike Leach. I don't know what could get more fun than this as far as an <laughs> offseason move and nick i am just so stoked about this uh this move for him uh you know obviously gonna get him on national tv and stuff but stanford was just it, it was the opposite of a mike leach offense it was slow and methodical and boring and uh just not working well specifically last year so right uh, i think this is going to be a great move
0: yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it seems to be a pretty perfect fit for uh, a player and an offense, uh, I would say for sure. And and uh, early in the process, in, early in the offseason when Mike Leach was still at Washington State, um, KJ Costello had been linked or believed to be a, a good fit for him to move Uh, there and and potentially take over as the quarterback at Washington State so uh, there seemed to be a a pretty natural fit familiar with one another having played in uh, the same conference and and Costello uh, as we know was hurt a lot last year entered the season as the starter. He's made 25 starts in his career. Uh, According to our numbers, he's been very productive. He's got 11 career production points, which is, uh, you know, which is pretty good if you're going to pick up a graduate transfer. I'm not, I'm pretty sure actually that none of the other, uh, you know, none of the Felipe Franks or Jamie Newman, even players like that, have put up as many Production points, and a lot of that was uh, really, really strong uh, 2018 season. But uh, 2019 just didn't didn't go well for him, and and it seemed that uh, Stanford was pretty much ready to move on, move forward with Davis Mills there. So seems to be sort of a a perfect opportunity to uh, you know have a prolific. Uh, Head coach, you know, from from a uh, Mm -hmm. developing quarterback standpoint, somebody that's going to put you in position to, you know, basically lead the country in passing year after year. Uh, He's put, you know, he he basically turned Gardner Minshew from an unknown to a draft pick and and potentially an NFL starter uh, in, in future years, and then Anthony Gordon this past year. Basically, nobody. Uh, nationally had ever heard of anthony gordon wasn't even expected to be the starter at washington state uh this year and, and then he comes out and and now as i understand i mean he played in the senior bowl and, and A really might, good game. might have put himself in position to to get yeah. drafted so yeah. uh kj costello who is much more of the you know prototypical nfl uh body strong arm kind of guy uh to be able to take those physical traits and more, you know, FBS experience, much much more FBS experience than those uh, previous two uh, quarterbacks had. For him to come in and, and be able to uh, come into this system is is really sort of an ideal fit for Leach, of course, but then also for Costello as well. Um, you know, Garrett Schrader was the quarterback at Mississippi State, or, you know, made four starts, played in ten games, uh, but much more of a runner looked like much more of a runner as a true freshman this past year so i think costello coming in obviously he's a smart guy you think he's going to be able to pick up the uh, playbook pretty easily and and everybody's learning the playbook all at the same time so uh that certainly would would help negate any experience edge that schrader has having uh played last year i would think but uh anyway yeah perfect fit really i mean you know he probably was other than newman the the top quarterback on the board from a grad transfer standpoint, and and for uh, Leach and Mississippi State to get him uh, is a, is great for their prospects looking ahead to twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all in on this. Nick is all in on this. Xavier, you're you're definitely making it three oh, for three he, here, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, he needed a change of scenery. He needed an opportunity to show what he could do because he hasn't been able to do that at his time in Stanford. Um, you know, like Nick alluded to, he's been hurt, but that's been due to, uh, a below average line play a lot of the time. And he's just sitting, he's a sitting duck. He's not a very athletic guy. Uh, but you know, Leach is really going to make sure that he gets at the very least numbers. He may not win a lot of games in Mississippi State, but he'll have the numbers to back it up. Um, and that'll mean he'll get the proper invites to, you know, the post, uh, post-season games like the senior bowl and things of that nature. I'm really looking forward to it. I would like to bring up, um, one tweet from Darren Revelle. I just want to, I just want to bring this up because oh, this no is why way you,
1: <laughs> anyone has an issue with Darren Ravel. I, I just,
2: I just, i hate really, uh, his tweet <laughs> said it announced, uh, Costello goes from the, from the school ranked sixth academically by us news and war report to number 211. Why does that matter? It's his senior year. Let him make the decision that he wants to make for his football future. Like, shut up! This is why people d- don't deserve verified check marks on Twitter because then they get the 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 traffic to go with such garbage tweets. Like, just shut up. Put a tie on in your head in your uh, you know in your head uh, photo. And Jesus, man, just let the kid
0: play back football. Yeah, oh, he's I already here. got it diploma from stanford i mean right I, <laughs> right i mean what is he afraid
1: of him becoming an idiot because he's going to he's still going to college you know so give me a break what what are we talking about here you know well
0: i guess maybe he's trying to uh, take a shot at at mississippi state i guess but um, regardless i mean you know it, apparently
1: it's, they wouldn't give him free food on his food world tour <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it sounds like there's either ulterior motives here or he just wants to make the kid feel bad. And it's like Xavier said, that's a dumb tweet. Um, We had a couple other commits. Chase Bryce from Clemson and uh, Devery Hamilton, the offensive lineman from Stanford, are going to Duke. So, Nick, what do you think of those moves?
0: Well, I I wanted to to mention that because we did talk a little bit about Bryce Last week, we were looking at some of the teams that maybe needed a quarterback, and, and I had you know previously heard that Bryce uh, had shown some interest in Vanderbilt, had shown some interest in him. Uh, Duke seems like a, a a great fit. It sounds like uh, Debo Sweeney was sort of um, almost steering him toward a couple of places, Duke being one, and it seemed like Georgia Tech being the other, which was a little bit of a surprise to me because I think they actually have uh, a couple of interesting pieces there for the future already on campus. But uh, this seemed to be a great fit. I mean, Duke uh, lost Quentin Harris last year. Uh, They've lost, unfortunately, a a handful of players to uh, transfer already. looks like, according to uh, our beta in in, – influx 2020 FBS profiles that I'm that I'm working through they have seven guys that are in the portal two of those have already transferred to other schools and and a couple of guys uh receivers who were starters this past year so Duke certainly has some holes quarterback being one of those and and Bryce coming in is big and Debra Hamilton uh also at Stanford, also injured for a large part of last year, has had success in the past, has had uh, played a lot. I mean, he started 18 games, so uh, if he's able to come in and, and uh, Duke, one place that they are pretty strong from an experience standpoint is the offensive line. They return four starters. The only uh, guy that that uh, is leaving was the starting left guard. Hamilton would be a perfect fit, just slide in to that left guard spot. So uh, Duke... You know that this fills a couple of big holes for them and and I'm not huge, you know, don't expect a whole lot from Duke this year, but uh, they definitely made an upgrade at at two important spots.
1: Yeah, I like this move for them, right Xavier. These are solid uh, moves.
3: Yeah, I'm ecstatic about the move for Bryce. Um, And for NFL guys that definitely gives you, you know, some type of credibility that you've been under a guy like that. Also. It gives Duke a quarterback um, that I don't think that they've had since Jones, um, with the ability that he carries and the ability that he has. Um, and like Nick said, he's coming back or he gets to come in with an offensive line that has uh, that's already has a nucleus of four guys. You know, you just slot one in. Sounds pretty nice. I mean, this was a Duke team that last year at one point, you know, I know they, you know, they kind of tailed off towards the end of the year and struggled uh, rather mightily. But at one point throughout the season, they were uh, five and one. And really looking for, I'm sorry, not 5-1, and 5-2. Uh, and two. And they had an opportunity to, you know, kind of challenge for the uh, ACC, which was much maligned last year. But still, they had an opportunity to do so. Um, and like I said, they ducktailed t- towards the end, picked up a late win against Miami on the last game of the season. But I do think that with Chase Bryce now in there, he's going to get an opportunity to play. And we haven't seen him play outside of the Syracuse game uh, where he came in for Trevor Lawrence, I think that was two years ago. So, um Really good reps for him. I think it's a really nice move as well for him. I I was scared for him to go to Vanderbilt. I thought if he did that, he was putting his life on the line. Uh, But, you know, uh, I think at Duke, they'll protect him. They'll they'll, they'll have his draft stock. You know, he'll have the opportunity to raise his draft stock as much as possible.
1: And then uh, uh, Whitlow is going to be transferring away from Auburn. And Ricky Slade entered the uh, transfer portal as well. And then Jet Duffy... Um, apparently can't transfer to CMU. Mm-hmm. He was denied admission uh, to there, and I guess Tulane as well. So, uh, what's going on with these guys, Nick?
0: Well, Whitlow was a surprise for mm-hmm. sure. I, I he was the leading rusher uh, for Auburn last year, and and they have a lot of talent at running back. So he was going to get he was going to get pushed. I mean, they they are bringing in a, a highly highly uh, rated. True freshman Tank Bigsby, who's probably going to uh, compete for carries early on, and and they already had DJ Williams, who had really impressed uh, the coaching staff. Sean Shivers is uh, just one of the the you know most electric, uh, pure speed guys out there, who's played in 25 games already, uh, and they're really high on a, a guy that was injured pretty much all of last year, didn't get the. Uh, see playing time, but Mark Anthony Richards was actually their highest rated running back recruit in the uh, 2019 class. So uh, a lot of competition there, but Whitlow seemed to be you know the the had the inside track, the front runner to to get the bulk of those carries. So it was a, a surprise to me to learn uh, that he's now in the in the transfer portal reportedly. So uh, interesting to to sort of hear details. I'm sure we'll learn more. As, as we go on, but uh, that was that was a surprise. Ricky Slade at Penn State less of a surprise. He uh, was a really, really highly rated player, five star uh, in the 2018 class, I believe, and just couldn't really hold on to the starting job there. I, I had said a couple of times that uh, his skill set I thought would be a, a great fit to uh, maybe move him to uh, like a slot receiver. Spot get him on the field, uh, similar you know in similar ways they did with uh, KJ Hamler uh, last year. So uh, I wasn't shocked that that he decided to move on because it just seemed that Journey Brown and Noah Kane were going to get the bulk of the carries there. I, I was hoping that they were going to be able to create a role for him to to get his uh, just pure athleticism uh, on the field more with With those guys, uh, probably getting the the bulk of the duties at, at running back. but uh, perhaps he, you know either that wasn't an option or, or he wasn't interested in in that being uh, his role and and if that's the case, he'll have an opportunity hopefully to get a fresh start somewhere else. and he's got uh, just huge talent uh, potential. and and so i'm I'm very interested to see where he. Uh, winds up and and if they're able to uh, sort of get the most out of his potential that that Penn State wasn't, unfortunately. And and, uh, for Jet Duffy, uh, it's an unfortunate situation because he came in and and did a lot of really, really good things for Texas Tech uh, each of the last two years, really, and had uh, been the starter there, but, you know, wasn't going to enter uh, spring practice or, or fall camp as the favorite to win that job. And and it's sort of unfortunate that uh sounded like he found a home at Tulane, which would have been a perfect situation, but unfortunately the uh, admission just wasn't there. And then Central Michigan also sounded like a pretty perfect fit. They need a guy, and Jim McElwain had, had done some good things with the graduate transfer uh, in 2019. But um, if this, you know, academics, I don't want to, to – speculate too much. But if this is an issue twice already, you have to think that maybe uh, the FCS level, unfortunately, is is potentially where he's headed because uh, it, it just seems like the the admission standards and the academics aren't lining up for him, unfortunately, uh, for, unfortunately because a player of his uh, talent and experience and, and skill set was going to be really exciting to watch at both Tulane and Central Michigan. So hopefully he'll be able to find a good spot, and, and hopefully we'll be able to see him do some good things at the FPS level. But if not, uh, best of luck to him, uh, you know, potentially at, at the FCS level next
1: year. Xavier, what do you think of uh, these moves? Whitlow, Slade, and Whit- uh, Duffy.
3: Well, Whitlow really, really confused me. Um, you know, Nick alluded to it. He was the, uh, the leading rusher for Auburn last year. You really felt like he was coming into his own. He missed two games last year with a knee injury, but you didn't think that that was necessarily going to slow him down. Um, you know, and you thought this year was going to be another great year for him. Obviously, he comes back with the rest of the offense for the most part. And, you know, he was probably going to be the focal point of the offense along with a uh, second-year Bo Nix. But for him to leave, it, it I don't know why, but it just feels like maybe something happened with the coaching staff that we don't know about. Uh, maybe you're right, Nick, and that they may be looking elsewhere, and that you know Whitlow may be falling down the depth chart without really losing his spot per, uh, per se. This is a really weird move um, because it, it doesn't feel like he's leaving to go change positions, like what Jalen Hurd did when he was at Tennessee to get out of the you know the wear and at the running back position. You know, it just seems like he's about to make a, a, a linear move, and on top of that. He's not a graduate transfer, so he has to sit out this year unless he is able to get an immediate, uh, you know, a, immediate transfer waiver. I don't think he's going to get that, so it's a really odd move. You know, maybe something's going on in his personal life. I don't really know, but just weird. And Nick, is is Jet Duffy not a graduate transfer? Uh, he
0: he is a graduate transfer, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I, I'm just not sure pure speculation. It sounds mm-hmm. like maybe his grades, you know, his transcript just isn't quite uh, up to the standards of, of, you know, these two schools that he was trying to get into. Not sure if there's uh, another job, you know, another school out there that, that he would be a fit for academically. But I'm, I'm again, purely speculating. I don't want yeah, be- to throw any, you know, anything out there that, that just would be blatantly false. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like perhaps uh, that his grades just you know, at Texas Tech, weren't uh, quite up to, to uh, snuff, or uh, that whatever classes, whatever his degree is in, uh, maybe there's not a perfect translation to the graduate programs that he's trying to get mm-hmm. into. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, this is surprising. I haven't, I haven't heard of a player before. Yeah. Uh,
1: Usually, they find a the way show. to make it work.
0: Yeah. Right. 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 This has happened twice. Makes me think that there's there's got to be something specifically with his academic uh, background that that's just a red flag, unfortunately, for for the programs that are uh, potentially you know looking at him as a, as a football player.
3: I will say the only thing that worries me is maybe his past is catching up with him. Um, as we know, Duffy has been uh, was responsible for two counts of sexual assault in 2017. He got in disturbance in front of a nightclub in 2018. And then he was uh, there was another complaint taken out on him last year um, in 2019 um, for sexual assault again. So I hope that's not what it is. Oh. Um, that's possibly is the reason why they're denying him admission. Um, I'm really hoping that it's not the case because it does seem weird that it could be academic. Um, and I'm really hoping it's not a, you know, a background check situation where he's just not the university just doesn't feel that he'd be a you know a suitable person on campus to bring into their schools um but i'm hoping that's not the case i'm hoping we get more information on it uh with an interview with the central michigan president he said no comment so i have really no we're, we're kind of all in the dark here with that yeah yeah
1: that that's- if,
0: if that's i wasn't aware with it of any of that so that certainly could be the case if he's if he's got a uh a history with with that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. and of course his is, you know, unfortunate. I, I, uh, but, but if, if there's a pattern there, then that, that would make some sense. But I just don't, I, I had not heard that. I, I didn't know. I
1: didn't know that either. And I also think that like telling him that, uh, you know, uh, you know, even, even talking to him is, it's strange to me if they knew that that was a possibility that that could be something that would creep up. So, Uh, it's a, it's a weird situation may there'll be more on it. Maybe there's something he can do, uh, you know, uh, some class he can take and then go in, in, you know, the fall or whatever. So, uh, we'll see what ends up happening there. Very strange situation to say the least. What about national signing day guys? I mean, first of all, I always get confused. I know they just started the, uh, December national signing day. What two years ago? Was it? Least so. Yeah, 2018. Mm-hmm. So, what is the mm-hmm. difference between that signing day and this signing day? Uh, I know this is just the first day that they can put pen to paper and, and enroll and all that stuff. So, um, I mean, Nick, explain it to me.
0: Uh, so, I'm not a, a big signing or recruiting guy. Xavier I mean, probably has a better handle on the specifics of it. But as I understand, when they implemented it two years ago, uh, they implemented an early signing period so players could, could put pen to paper, could sign, could enroll early, could uh, basically be locked into uh, the cycle. And so I think this is the, uh, the third maybe of those that we've seen. And, and uh, as I understand, between 75 and 80% basically uh, of players had signed in December. And so uh, the, the vast majority of your, you know, five star, four star, highly recruited guys were already uh, in place, knew where they were going to go in December. And, and uh, that the occasional uh, player, you know, who might want to uh, take as much time as possible might still be out there to uh, to sign later or, you know, maybe there's a player that wants a bigger stage, sort of wants the, you know, everything to themselves sort of thing, and and uh, might be an opportunity for that to wait until February. But um, most everything was already decided in December, at least at the sort of highest levels. And, and there were, I think today, uh, there was a little bit of movement in, in the rankings uh, but based on a, a couple of late flips. But it seemed to me that pretty much Every team had, uh, or at least like the Power 5 level, had, you know, two, three, four guys that weren't part of uh, the December class. But it seemed that, you know, basically 80% of everybody's class was already in place in December. But there were just a few missing pieces here or there. A few latecomers, maybe some, uh, you know, late developing guys that uh, were able to get bigger offers waiting uh, until February after sort of a lot of the dust had settled. Um, but it seems that the Power Five, pretty much everything was set. Some of the G5 teams, uh, sort of as things filter down, uh, we're getting more of the traditional, you know, late commits, and, and we're signing maybe the, the uh, more towards maybe half their class today, sort of. But uh, pretty much over the last few years, uh about 75-80% of things were in place in December.
1: Now I know Xavier, you're you're a little more plugged into signing day than uh mm-hmm. Nick and I are. What were there what was the biggest flip or a couple of them?
3: Uh Darren Branch going from Ole Miss to Georgia was a huge flip. Um Miami actually picked up a person, uh just give me half a second. Um they were able to flip a kid who originally was about to go. To Florida. So that was a uh, huge flip for them. Um, I believe it was a four star as well. Um, But like Nick said, a lot of them kind of just went the way it was supposed to go. Um, Jordan Birch, uh, a guy who signed with South Carolina on early signing day, but didn't sign his letter letter of intent until today, that was huge. A lot of people thought he may switch. Um, The Zach Evans saga has still not ended yet, as he has not signed with anybody, I do not believe. Um, But um, yeah. So, right now, the only commit that's still kind of out there uh, is Zach Evans, a five star running back who was originally signed with Georgia. Um, but they let him out of his letter of intent um, around Christmas time. Um, and he's kind of gone back on the trail. A lot of people feel like it's between Tennessee, Georgia, and AM. Um, nobody really knows where he's going to go. Nobody really even knows why he got let out of, out of his uh, letter of intent. Um, his saga is really weird. One of the weirdest I've probably ever seen. Um, but it's a good a good player, but we'll have to just wait and see what happens there. Um, other than that, signing day kind of went how people felt. Georgia finished one. Um, a, a lot of people thought that that was going to happen as they were still waiting on some kids uh, to sign their letter of intent. They actually were able to flip – a funny story. They were able to flip Muschamp's son from South Carolina uh, to Georgia. Oh, um, my so, God. Yeah, uh, as, as a, uh, and not even – with a scholarship, he decided to flip as a preferred walk on to Georgia. So that was a funny story that came through. Uh, Jordan must champ. So, um, yeah, it was a, it's a good signing day for Georgia. Um, they bring in a class that was highly necessary. Um, a lot of, obviously, with the turnover that's happened on the uh, offensive line, they signed two more offensive linemen a day uh, one four star and one five star. Um, but yeah, most of the signing day most of the signings already kind of happened during the early signing day period and over the, uh, under our, um, over the all American games and things of that nature. It's just for kids who are kind of waiting for coaching changes to happen. Um, like in the case of Darren Branch wanting to play for Matt Luke, obviously he was fired and now coming to Georgia instead of Ole Miss and, uh, instead of playing for, uh, his name, excuse me, uh, Kiffin. So.
1: Yeah. It, there's, uh, there's some weird stuff. I can't believe the must champ story, uh, blows my mind, but who was it? Uh, Nick, who's coaching at Houston now?
0: Dan Holgerson.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Holgerson's son, uh, you know, was like the fifth string quarterback for Houston and got some playing time and stuff. And it's, you know, uh, I mean, you're not going to start. It doesn't really matter if if your son, if he's your kid, you don't start him over De'Ara King. But when De'Ara King goes, you think maybe this kid's going to have a shot. Uh, and, and, and no, and the must champ. It, that almost feels weird to me. Like Champ letting his kid, not not necessarily letting his kid. I mean, it, this might be maybe they had a fight or something. But it's it's just very strange for me to s- see him uh, go to a rival school. Uh, very weird, but um, but it um, is his father's alma mater. It it is, and I, I understand that. <laughs> but if if you're coaching at South Carolina, I think you got to say something along the lines of. You know, no, come play for me. Come on. And, and you don't want to get, you know, you don't want another uh, SEC team pulling them either. So very strange. But
0: well, I did uh, see Willie Taggart's uh, son, Willie Taggart, signed with Willie Taggart at FAU. So
1: yeah, uh, see, that makes sense to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> And guess what? If he leaves for a different job or gets fired, I bet his son goes with him. So, you know, I mean, there are players that aren't blood related that do that with coaches. So uh, <laughs> just, just very weird to see. But uh, speaking of the SEC, that's what we want to dive into today, Nick. And, uh, you know, just do you want to go over what the projections were in the SEC and then uh, how things actually turned out real quick to start?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we, uh, our very first episode, uh, was our sec preview. And so, uh, we, we won't spend a whole lot of time on the preseason projections, but just sort of as a quick refresh, we can go through and say, you know, sort of how we saw each division shaping up. And then, uh, some of the the things we got right, some of the, the teams we got wrong, who, uh, vastly, uh, overachieved according to our preseason numbers, who've underachieved, and then uh, we'll take a quick look ahead at sort of the, the very first of our 2020 numbers are starting to sort of come into shape as we get ready to release our 2020 uh, team profiles uh, at the beginning of next month. So thought we'd go through and, and look sort of conference by conference, do a quick recap of uh, last season. And uh, just a quick sort of look ahead before we really start digging in, uh, you know, next summer and, and things like that. But sort of a, a starting point as we're starting to turn the page and look ahead to 2020.
1: All right. So let's start with uh, 2019 and uh, okay. what actually happened as far as uh, the records go here, because when you're looking at the SEC, you know, uh Georgia. Finished at seven and one, uh, 12 and two overall, uh, Florida in the East, six and two in conference, 11 and two overall Tennessee started out terrible, uh, much to, uh, Xavier's, uh, joy. And they were eight and five overall five and three in the conference. Uh, Kentucky finished at eight and five, obviously a lot of injuries, but Bowdoin, uh, got them to eight wins. They were three and five in the sec though. Um, Six and six for Missouri, four and eight for South Carolina, and three and nine for Vandy. So starting in the East, Nick, what was surprising and what was not surprising?
0: Well, uh, Kentucky really sort of overachieved. I mean, we, we had Kentucky favored to win six games and expected them to win five-point 7-7 seven, seven games on average. That was sort of our, our starting point. We had Kentucky ranked 42nd in the country as far as our team strength power ratings go. Uh, and they overachieved. And, and a lot of that actually had to do, strangely enough, with uh, injuries at the quarterback position. They sort of had to uh, put Lynn Bowden in unexpectedly, moving from receiver back to uh, quarterback where he'd played in high school. And uh, that really sort of helped them uh, they they pretty much caught fire. I mean, the the offensive line played great. The running game was basically unstoppable, uh, and the defense played really well as well. So Kentucky was able to overachieve our projection by a couple of wins. Um, they ended up ranking uh 21st in our final power rating so uh they were they were an impressive team and they seem to be even though Bowdoin is is gone seem to be pretty well positioned to uh continue to build under Mark Stoops and and it looked at first uh switching to, to Tennessee we had them favored in nine games in the preseason. So they did underachieve still. you know, Obviously, the loss to Georgia State was a big one. The loss to BYU was a big one. But uh, they were able to turn things around and, and ended up uh, pretty close to where we had them projected. But the two teams in the East that sort of uh, were disappointing uh, compared to our projection, South Carolina underachieved. We had them expected to win six games, get back to a bowl. Uh, we did have them expected to go three and five in conference but um they were uh you know quarterback injury in, in week one was was big and and uh though they did have a, a strong performance from a true freshman came in um sort of helped solidify things a, a little bit they still just weren't quite able to um you know knock off any of the the Teams that they, other than Georgia, they did, of course, have an upset win over Georgia. But uh, otherwise, very, very difficult schedule, just weren't quite able to get over the hump, weren't quite able to to knock off uh, some teams that they were favored to beat. And uh, they came in 51st in our final power ratings overall. uh, And then Vanderbilt just uh, really, really um, disappointed, Uh, expected a lot more out of their offense, thought that they were a, a good you know if, if they could pull an upset we had them favored to win five games if, if they could pull an upset thought they would be able to get back to a bowl for the second straight season but uh, just wasn't able to happen uh they slumped all the way down to 106 in our final ratings and and uh lost a couple of games that we had them favored to win and and then of course just finished with the three wins and and uh things are not particularly looking uh uh great for them headed into next year we'll get into that a little bit more later
1: Xavier, what did you think of the SEC East there? I think it
3: went kind of how we felt. I think Kentucky obviously overplayed and overperformed this year. You know, you get a wide receiver to do what he did at the quarterback position throughout the rest of the year. And you finish not only eight and five, but you also finish with a bowl win. That's an impressive, or you finish with a bowl win, but that's very impressive from them. Um, I think that Missouri, me and Nick talked about this in the preseason, that People were drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much with Kelly Bryant transferring there. People felt that, you know, he was going to be the answer and get, you know, that that squad over the hump. And they kind of finished exactly like I thought they would. Six and six. They struggled throughout the year. They couldn't beat the big boys in either side of the conference. And uh, they they were a middling club, which is exactly what we we thought they would be. Um, Tennessee, um, they ride the ship. You know, I have to give my credit to Jeremy Pruitt. I know I like to throw a lot of dirt on Tennessee. Uh, they deserve it. But um, <laughs> they they were able to, after the abysmal start, really right the ship. They won their bowl game over in Indiana. You know, um, and I would say things are looking up for them next season. I'm not so sure with them losing a lot of talent um, on both sides of the football. Uh, but I will say that they ended a lot better than what we, I thought they were after the start that they had. South Carolina, I didn't really expect much from South Carolina. Uh, I thought that they would struggle with Halinsky being in his first full year um, and really not, you know, and I I didn't expect Bentley to get hurt like he did. Um, I think that may be the reason why they finished four and eight. You know, they throw in a guy like Halinsky who's never played in the conference like this before and uh, really, you know, outside of the Georgia game. And even in that game, he struggled, even though they won. Um, They just really could never get the offense going and Vandy, Vandy, Vandy. Um, man, Vandy's like the lovable losers, but you really want to see them do better than 3-9, and nine, especially when you know um, a lot of some of these losses were non-conference as well. You know, it's one thing to get beat up by the SEC. It's another thing to get beat up by non-conference opponents, and it sucks to see them lose uh, to teams that they don't deserve to lose to. Uh, but hopefully Derek Mason can write that ship and get them back on the right foot. Nick alluded to it. Maybe not, but we'll have to see.
1: All right, so... Looking here at the West of the SEC, and obviously uh, we had the national champs come out here. Uh, LSU 15-0, 8-0 in the conference. Bama uh, finished at 11-2, 6-2 in the conference. Uh, Auburn, great year for them, 9-4 overall, 5-3. Uh, and uh, 8-5, 4-4 in the conference, though. Mississippi State uh, 6-7, 3-5. Uh, Ole Miss four and eight, and Arkansas two and ten. So, what was surprising and what was not that surprising from the West, Nick?
0: Well, uh, LSU winning the national championship, I think, was was pretty much a surprise for everybody. Uh, we talked in the preseason about how they had the talent to beat anybody on their schedule, but we just hadn't seen. Uh, you know the the uh, we hadn't seen the offense take a step forward and, and weren't really, I was hesitant to buy in that this year would be different. Obviously it was. Uh, Joe Burrow you know, took his game to uh, a completely uh, new level. The change in offensive uh, philosophy to uh, really put the talent in the best position to be successful paid off huge. And, and LSU absolutely was uh, the best team in the country and in a lot of uh, different ways and, and proved it on the field and, and uh, was really a magical season for them. Uh, we were pretty low. Our numbers were pretty low on Auburn. Uh, did not expect Bo Nicks to um do really a whole lot. I mean we we didn't give him a a, a lot of respect as a, a true freshman starting uh in the SEC and and you know he had some moments where he really did uh perform quite well but then in a lot of ways he did look like a freshman. So uh they were able to overcome that. Uh they had a pretty strong offensive line play, excellent defensive play you know defensive line was one of the best in the country the linebacking core was better than expected that was a a question mark in my mind coming into the season and and the secondary was good as well so uh, auburn leaned on its defense and and was able to win a lot of games that we had projected as toss-ups i mean we only had them favored in six games had them expected to win uh just just shy of seven, so uh, had a lot of toss ups and they were able to to win several of those. Knocked off Alabama, which of course is huge. Uh, and, and on that note, Alabama was our preseason number one team, and uh, my personal uh, pick to win the national championship and, and, uh, Tua getting injured had a lot to do with them, uh, sort of underachieving, but, uh, you know, some other injuries as well. They, you know, lost Dylan Moses before the season started and, and, uh, had, you know, different pieces here and there in and out of the lineup and, and that hurt. And they were able to, uh, you know, they, they, LSU beat them, uh, Almost at full strength, not not totally. Tua was back, but a little bit hobbled, and then uh, Auburn was able to beat him with Mac Jones there at quarterback. So Alabama certainly underachieved, but they finished fourth in our final uh, power rating. So still one of the elite teams, despite a couple of losses, and and they're going to certainly be in the mix again in 2020. Uh, otherwise, the the rest of the or the rest of the division. Shook out very similar to what we expected, though I did expect Arkansas to take a step forward. Our numbers had them contending for a bull bid, had them uh, expected to win 5.69 games, had them favored in five games. But uh, they lost, of course, to Western Kentucky. They uh, went winless in the SEC, just could not get over the hump. And and uh, they started five different quarterbacks. That was uh, certainly an issue. Um could not, you know, find a a, a really just lack consistency uh, at that position. And and then, of course, that affected the whole team. So uh, they were our biggest disappointment. And uh, they have an opportunity, hopefully, to to take a step forward in 2020. But uh, as far as our preseason numbers, we just did not expect them to lose 10 games again in 2019.
1: Now, going over to uh, this season, and uh, looking at the SEC East to start, it, it's the, the thing that jumps off the page to me first is we have uh, maybe I guess two uh, returning starting quarterbacks. Really, Trask started a bunch of games for Florida last year, but um, he he was you know uh, he wasn't the starter to start the season. Obviously, it was Felipe Franks. Uh, Jared Guarantano started wire to wire. For the volunteers, um, Gamecocks are, are probably going to have a new quarterback coming in, although I did read right before we started recording this that Colin Hill isn't going to be able to practice until the summer, so <clears throat> uh, not sure how that's going to affect his job status there, but it, it's not positive, that's for sure, but we've got new quarterbacks all over the place in Georgia, only returning two on offense, Florida only re- returning four on defense those are big hits and uh tennessee's got nine coming back they finished off the well year uh, the the year well last year if i'm not dyslexic and <laughs> they um they they were just very very impressive down the stretch and you know we give them a lot of hard, uh, hard times on this pod uh, especially xavier but they finished they finished off really strong so the, and they have nine returning starters and vandy uh, I mean, they've got 11 starting returners on defense, but I don't know if that's necessarily the greatest thing for them. So uh, you know, only winning three games last season. So um, Nick, why don't you talk about um, just kind of the rankings and stuff? I mean we have, uh, I'll just burn through them real fast and then you can comment on them. It As far as the East goes, it goes Georgia one and their fifth overall. Florida two, they're seven overall. Kentucky 3-26 overall, Tennessee 4-27 overall. Then it drops down a little bit to 5th uh, for uh, the Gamecocks. They're 42, six for Missouri. They're 44, and then Vandy is 116 and last in the East. But talk about the SEC East uh, as far as what you're seeing for this season.
0: So it's probably not going to surprise too many people that the, the order that we've got right now is – Basically the same as what we had at the end of last season. We're going through updating all the rosters, incorporating the uh, new uh, recruiting classes, making sure that we've got you know the the right starters in, in the right spots, and and uh, sort of tallying everything up. So there isn't a, a whole lot of movement at this point. There will be a little bit more as we uh you know go throughout the offseason. More of the uh transfers start to play themselves out. We are going to do uh some updates as far as our player ratings go. And uh I think we touched on it a little bit last week, sort of turning down how much we uh, Uh, put weight on experience in in reference to or in contrast to uh, talent we're going to turn the the talent quotient up a little bit as far as our player ratings go so uh, we do have we will see some movement but at this point at least in the sec east 2020 is probably uh the expectations are going to be pretty similar to what we saw in 2019 georgia is a slight favorite you brought up a great point. They only have two returning starters and, and that's something that we are doing uh, with the team profiles going through and making note of uh you know who's who's a returning starter, who's not. And the way we determine that is actually uh the way I, I decided we're gonna call somebody a quote unquote returning starter if they started more than half of it the team's games last year. So for most teams, if you went to a bowl game, that would mean uh, that that player would have to have started seven games. So when, when we're saying that Georgia only has two returning starters, only two players from last year's offense started seven or more games, and that's the center, Trey Hill, and the uh, wide receiver, Kyrus Jackson. But Georgia is bringing in a grad transfer quarterback, somebody who started 15 games at Wake Forest and Jamie Newman. Zamir White has experience at running back as just James Cook. You know, those that, that running back position, they're, of course, very talented, but they also have some experience as well. George Pickens, he only started two games, but he was the leading receiver uh, last year. Tight end Trey McKitty, transfer from Florida State, has 22 career starts. Uh, and, and then it, uh, on the offensive line, if ben, uh, ben Cleveland is able to get his academic issues in order, uh, he'll come back and, and probably start on the offensive line. He's got 16 career starts. So Georgia's offense, though they do only return two starters, it's a little bit... Misleading because there are players that that have experience uh, at at different spots, and and I I failed to mention Demetrius Robinson at at, uh, wide receiver has 17 career games started, but uh, was not you know didn't didn't match the uh, above 50% last year. So uh, that's that's the sort of thing that that we're looking into. We want to see sort of baseline you know starters coming back, but then we also want to be able to show uh, in our profiles. You know, maybe there are some instances where that number can be a little bit misleading. And, and so, Georgia, we don't expect a huge drop off, do have them as a top five team. But Florida is closing in, and Florida has a lot of talent uh, from the defensive line. They have, at this point, our highest rated uh, defensive line. And that's even after losing to, you know, arguably their, their two most talented players uh, were on the defensive line last year. So, Florida's set up pretty well to compete. In the East, it's it's probably good, just going to be a, a two-team race as it has been in years past. But uh, I do like a lot of things that I've seen uh, from our early numbers as it relates to Florida. I think that Dan Mullen is, has really sort of gotten things moving in the right direction there. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, getting too, maybe too deep into it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Georgia is uh, our, our early favorite, but just slightly Florida is sort of nipping at the heels, but uh, the rest of sort of our power ratings are shaping up at this point are very similar to our end of season uh, power ratings from, from 2019.
1: Now with um, all of these quarterbacks being replaced, I mean, you know, is there, uh, Terry Wilson is going to come back for Kentucky, correct?
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I did make a note here. It's, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought, brought that up. Uh, I went through, and and only six of the 14 starters uh, from the SEC last year are coming back. And at first glance, that seems like, okay, well, the SEC uh, is going to have a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks. However, Terry Wilson is coming back, was a starter in 2018. Uh, And then also at Alabama, Mac Jones got uh, his feet wet with some starting experience at Alabama, Last year, so you take those those into account. Now we've got you know eight of the fourteen coming back that have starting experience in the SEC. But then we already mentioned Jamie Newman; he's a grad transfer, has experience Uh, at South Carolina. uh, You mentioned Colin Hill; he's somebody who's coming in with additional experience, may or may not be in the mix to start. Uh, Missouri is bringing in or has already brought in a grad transfer. Uh, former TCU quarterback Sean Robinson is probably going to be the starter there. He has uh, a little bit of experience as a starter. You have to think at this point Vanderbilt's going to bring in uh, a grad transfer. Um, that that just seems likely based on that they currently. Uh, have zero scholarship quarterbacks coming back from 2019, and then Mississippi State. We mentioned KZ Costello; he has 25 games started. And at Arkansas, Felipe Franks, of course, was the uh, starter at Florida in 2019 at the beginning of 20, uh, or excuse me, 2018 at the beginning of 2019. So, really, the only two teams that don't have starting experience at quarterback are Vanderbilt and uh, LSU, and that that's you know to me that says that that perhaps uh these teams are in a little bit better shape at the quarterback position than we might think initially
1: yeah, yeah I think I think that's a it that's an excellent point to make. I was just thinking of who could who could challenge is there anyone that can challenge Georgia or Florida here? I mean, I know they're gonna challenge each other, but is there a that's team a great question because uh, I, I don't I don't see it happening to be honest with you I know Tennessee. Mm-hmm finished off the year very well but I, i'm I'm not banking on them to compete with Georgia or uh, Florida at all.
3: We'll let their fan base tell it. they'll be competing for a national championship <laughs>
1: um,
3: but I think well, you're we're right. rational
1: I think not, so yeah
3: yeah yeah I, yeah I think it's Georgia Florida all the way um I'm excited to see what the Florida quarterback situation is next year. Uh, Felipe Frank saying that he's going to stay and fight for his job. You've got Kyle Trask there. obviously. No, took Franks over is for him. no, Frank's is gone. Frank's, Franks on. Oh, You're right. You're right. He did say that. You're right. Uh, but I do, in talking to Florida fans, um, a lot of them want to see Emory Jones play. Uh, I kind of want to see Emory Jones play. Yeah, too.
1: So. They, too. They, 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 <laughs> want,
3: they want him to be the starting quarterback. Uh, they honestly were a little surprised at how well Kyle Trask played this year. Uh, but they, they they just they just feel like they have a talent on the bench that's being wasted right now. Um, so I'm really excited to see if Emory Jones can get the starting spot in the off season. Obviously, he's working up a hill with what Kyle Trask did last year. He did really nothing to lose the job. But um, I, I'd like to see if you know Emory Jones can supplant him because I think that he's one heck of a kid. He's super talented, uber talented kid. And honestly, I'd be more scared as a Georgia fan if. If Emory Jones was taking snaps for them in Trask. me, I.
1: yeah, I, I think I would as well. Now we go over to the West, where we have, I mean, there's just so much, there's so many moving parts here. Uh, we've got, um, you know, new coaches first of all at um, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and. Uh, Arkansas right so mm-hmm. we've got three new coaches in here and then we've got uh, the national champs uh, and they only have three returning start- starters on offense and four on defense uh, Bama has half of their offense returning but uh, no uh, I I guess you could say Mac Jones is returning did he wind up playing seven games Nick or how many games was Mac in
0: no well he 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 played uh in in that many games, but he started four.
1: Okay, so that's it,
0: right. It meets you know, the threshold that I set to to be a starter. But he is, you know, he played in
1: some pretty big he's games. Experienced, he, yeah. He he he's not he's not a nobody, and he's not uh, completely unknown. So we kind of know what we're getting out of him. But uh, at LSU, we we don't know what we're getting out of the quarterback position there. Uh, Auburn, uh, you know, they didn't. They have their quarterback coming back in Bo Nicks, but only three returning starters, only five on defense. a actually has a ton returning. They've got Mon coming back and eight starters on offense and nine on defense. And uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Arkansas all going to be running new offenses. So it's going to be a very uh, fun year to watch this conference for sure. Uh, and just on the overall and in the conference, um, the preseason rankings from CFB winning edge. We've got Bama at one overall and one in the SEC, uh, uh, SEC West. We've got uh, LSU at two and four overall. Auburn is three and 10 overall at the Aggies are four and 12 overall. So that's four top 12 teams in this uh, SEC West and then, um, Mississippi is uh, another top 20 team at 19 and they're fifth, um, Ole Miss is six and 50 in Arkansas, way down there at seven and 91. So, uh, I mean, Nick dive in on this cause uh, I know there's going to be a lot to say here
3: before you go, Nick. Remember earlier, I was talking about Jordan Burch committing to South Carolina uh, uh-huh. for the, the number four recruit in the country. He is still not signed his letter of intent, um, he verbally committed. So he's now verbally committed twice to South Carolina without signing his letter of intent. Um, If I hear something else, I will obviously hop in, but this is weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is for him to, for him to sign on early signing day and on national signing day, putting on the hat twice and still yet to sign a letter of intent. There's gotta be something going on here. That's maybe he's gotten cold feet at the altar. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's uh, Honestly, that's part of the reason that I basically just don't pay attention until it's all done. And and I, I don't wanna to fall too far behind. So I have you know, there there are people that, that uh you know take recruiting very seriously and and uh pay a lot of attention to it and, and put a lot of time and effort into uh, you know, scouting these players. I'm and I'm all with that. you
1: on that, Nick, but at the end of the day it's you know it's decisions of 17 and 18 year old kids. Right. So how often are they changing their mind constantly? We all know because we've all been there. So,
0: yeah. And and so, you know, a player like that, like I'm, I'm familiar with the story a little bit from the, the first, uh, you know, from the December signing day when he, when he announced South Carolina and, and just didn't sign. And it always seemed like he was going to, uh, go to South Carolina, but, LSU is sort of in the mix, but see, that just, you know, I, I, I certainly understand that he wants to take his time, make the right decision and, and all that sort of stuff. But also, it's kind of like, you know, I, I've got a lot of other things going on. I, I just <laughs> send me, a, you know, send me a list in mm-hmm. mid-February of who signed, and then I'll start to pay a little bit more of attention. And, and on that note, uh, Bryce Young, the five-star quarterback signee at Alabama, uh him signing he's he's going to be coming in as a true freshman he got a huge bump from 247 sports in their uh final ratings update and and I believe he's the third number 3 player in uh the 247 composite he had been just a uh, pretty high four star if if uh, memory serves, but but got a huge jump. Comes in as the number one quarterback signing in the class, and and he already has a higher rating uh, according to our formula or our new formula uh, than Mac Jones. So him coming in as a, a slightly higher rated player, I think, and, and I admittedly have not studied him at all but it it seems if he is an elite elite quarterback and that seems to be the case though undersized of course but but things are changing as far as that goes uh but it it seems that he's going to be maybe the guy to beat for that job and and if that's the case uh alabama would get a slight bump because he is about you know 1.7 points higher rated than mac jones and Uh, Believe it or not, it was that that was able to jump Alabama above Clemson in our our current uh, numbers. I did a way too early uh, top 25 for fansided.com right around the the time of the national championship game. Clemson was number one at that point, but Alabama is just barely, barely uh, topped them at this point. Certainly there's months and months and and things could change, but Alabama right now is – number 1 you mentioned LSU number 4 and i know they're def- they're def- defending national champions but that makes me nervous because i'm not sure that LSU is is a top 5 team just based on how much they lost i mean nine guys are gone uh, early to the nfl draft they lost 11 senior starters both of those numbers are the highest of any team Uh, oh no excuse me I I misread Auburn lost 11 senior starters but uh, LSU lost five senior starters including of course Joe Burrow uh, nine NFL draft early guys the most in the SEC Uh, they're they're going to be so inexperienced in a lot of key spots quarterback especially and Miles Brennan though was a, a highly regarded quarterback signee the fact that he just hasn't been able to, to sort of solidify the job they brought in Joe Burrow. There have been you know rumors and speculation that LSU might try to uh, bring in another graduate transfer quarterback. So that makes me hesitate that they're really a number four team. And, and then, of course, they're basically rebuilding the linebacking core. They're rebuilding uh, the defensive line, only one returning starter there. The offensive line, only one returning starter. So I'm a little bit nervous that LSU is is that high. Uh, and it seems like Auburn and Texas A and M are, are going to have the talent to be in the mix. Texas A and M is is an experience uh, play, basically. I mean, they they only had two senior starters. They only had two seniors, basically. Uh, they did lose some guys to the NFL draft, which hurt a little bit. But uh, they're certainly going to be in the mix there with Auburn. Uh, and Mississippi State was uh, in the in the back half of the twenties. For most of uh, the last month, but when KJ Costello uh, announced that he was headed there, he is a uh, maximum rated, 100 rated player based on his uh, high rating coming out of high school that he is a senior, and that he does have a produ- uh, productive past, primarily from 2018. Uh, so he's a huge upgrade at quarterback over Garrett Schrader, according to our numbers. So that that's a big reason why Mississippi State was able to jump into that top 20. Uh, Ole Miss and Arkansas, there's there's a pretty big gap there. Ole Miss is going to be a fairly experienced team. I have to think that uh, Lane Kiffin is going to be able to, to do some things on the offensive side of the ball to maybe help them take a step forward there. But Arkansas has got a big hill to climb. I'm I'm not surprised at all that they're a distant seventh in the division. But this will be a a fun race because there are, I think you said it, you put uh, an excellent word, there are a lot of moving parts and uh, a lot of change over at Alabama, a lot of change over at LSU, Auburn. Uh, So the top is is pretty wide open uh, as far as I'm concerned, even though Alabama is currently our top-ranked team in the country. I could see this going, you know, a, a few different ways in 2020.
1: Yeah. I mean, Xavier, uh, like, like I said, a lot of moving parts here, a lot of changes. And I think, you know, the, the point that, that Nick was making about LSU is, uh, and, and maybe, uh, I, I don't know if you, you guys agree with this, but it's for Alabama. Yes, they're losing a ton too. Right. We know that, right. but they, we've seen them lose a ton and then be fine the next year. We haven't seen LSU hit the reset button like we have seen with Clemson and Alabama, and they're really the only two teams to uh, be super successful with it. Ohio State stays pretty good. Uh, USC usually at least has a good recruiting class same thing with Georgia as well but we just haven't Mm -hmm. seen LSU win a title hit the reset button and then be fine and in contention the next season so I think and losing Joe Burrow who's going to be the number one overall pick how can you expect them to now Oklahoma lost the number one overall pick last year and we're still right back in the playoffs. So uh, the last two years, yeah, the last two years. So uh, we could definitely see LSU back in the playoffs again, but what do you think of this uh, sec West going in uh, as of right now? I really
3: like Texas A&M. I know. I think I said that at the beginning Ooh. of this year, <laughs> I know you don't like it because uh, <laughs> of your old, you know, big six days. Uh, but I I really like the fact that they're bringing back all this talent. And I think a major reason as to why they weren't as good as they were um, or maybe as they were supposed to be was because of how hard their schedule is. We went through it. They played Georgia, Clemson, LSU, and Alabama all last year. Um, Their schedule this year is absolute cupcaking compared to it. They start with Abilene Christian, uh, North Texas, Colorado, and Arkansas. That's their first four games. Um, They see Alabama at Alabama, but they get both Alabama and LSU all um, at the end of the year, which means they could really go into both games undefeated, barring the game against Auburn, because that's the only one I see them really having a problem with. Um, Obviously, you bring back Kellen Mond and his... uh, I believe, is it going to be his last year? I think it is. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just... I really like the team. Nick alluded to it earlier. They're bringing back, you know, eight starters on offense and nine starters on defense. And, you know, it, it, it may not be a good thing in some regard, but, you know, they played well um, against the lower half of the conference. And like I said, four of their five losses came against teams that were pos- almost in the uh, college football playoff and two that were. So, I mean, when you look at that, you, you've got to think that this team can propel themselves as at least one of the top three, maybe challenge for two um, in the uh, SEC West. Uh, Nick also said it, LSU worries me. Uh, I think we're going to go back to the old LSU. I'm sorry, LSU fans. I think you're going to go back to a mediocre or right above average quarterback with uh, a, with all the athletes around them. And you just guys, you guys can't capitalize. And, you know, I, I, I don't see them, you know, replicating what they did this year. Um, as far as Auburn is concerned, they go as far as Nick's. Takes them. Um, I think this year, like the Iron Bowl, you saw that you know he's capable of you know not completely losing them games, but you also saw against Georgia he got nothing done. And I think that they're going to go as far as he can take them. Um, obviously, they, they lose a lot of defensive talent, so that hurts uh, replacing a guy like Derek Brown, and it's not going to be easy. But Bo Nix is the face of that school. He will be for the next at least year uh, or two years and he's going to go, um, Auburn goes as far as he could take them. So
1: we'll see. Uh, and, and it's going to be, you know, these are obviously, you know, this is what we have so far and it's going to, there's going to be, you know, things that change. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be, uh, off season stuff, you know, hopefully not, but there always is some type of suspension happening as well. So, um, I I think that's going to wrap us up right here, Nick. Yeah. All right. Well that is gonna do it for us. And what are we doing next week? Uh which which conference?
0: Next week will be the Pac twelve.
1: Pac twelve. All right. So we Ew. can hear hear about that <laughs> uh we can hear about that six six wide receiver that ASU uh recruited I saw today. So that'll be that'll be fun to talk about. But uh they're they're losing a lot with Eno Benjamin and Brandon Ayak going too. Can so. they just
3: bring in uh Marvin Jones? Or not Marvin Jones? Marvin Lewis. Marvin, Marvin, uh, Marvin uh, yeah. Lewis. Yeah, he yeah. was a
0: uh, he was a uh, an analyst, I guess, last year, but yeah. uh, is going to be co defensive coordinator. So yeah, I mean, the,
3: the amount of defensive talent, uh, not defensive, but NFL talent in that coaching staff is ridiculous, and definitely will help them on the recruiting show
1: moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, uh, the the my it's my my age. I'm thirty. I you know, thirty seven. And, um, it's, we, we watched, um, you know, we watched Herman coaching and stuff And, and my, my buddy stepson goes to ASU. So, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's that type of age. So, you know, all the, the dad's, are seeing their kids go play for <laughs> yeah. coaches they've watched in the NFL for a long time, but uh, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can follow us on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.